Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more. I'm your host, Nancy Kerala. We would like to thank our sponsor, the CEDA Foundation, for making this show possible, and we welcome and thank our listeners for joining us today. Today's guests are Dr. Clifford McDonald, MD, and Dr. Arjan Srinivasan, MD. Dr. Clifford McDonald is the Senior Advisor for Science and Integrity, Division of Healthcare Quality Promotion at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and Dr. Arjan Srinivasan, MD, the Associate Director for Healthcare-Associated Infection Prevention Programs and the Division of Healthcare Quality Pro- Pro- Promotion at the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention's National Center for Emerging and Zoonotic Infection Diseases. It is our pleasure to introduce our first guest, Dr. Clifford McDonald. And Dr. McDonald, thank you so much for joining us today in this week's C. diff spores and more episode focused on Clostridium difficile infections and antibiotic resistance. Thank you, Nancy. Happy to be here. Oh, thank you so much. And Dr. McDonald, um, I won't waste any time because we have a lot of information to cover, um, but we would like to lead off the discussion by asking you, uh, to share with us and the listeners um, the reason why you think and why we have seen such an increase in cases of C. difficile infections over the last 10 to 15 years. Sure, Nancy. Well, let me just begin by um, informing our li- listeners a little bit more about Clostridium difficile and the infection it causes. Clostridium difficile is a bacterium that um, forms a spore, and you hear about it mentioned, we even the name of the program, spores, today, spores and more, um, it forms a spore that's it's, uh, inactive form. It's active form we call a vegetative or actively growing form. It's found in the soil. Uh, it's um, associated with disease in humans. We didn't know about its cause uh, of this colitis until the late 1970s. The organism was discovered back in the 30s and actually it's commonly found in uh, young infants under one year of age where it does not cause disease um, when they become colonized in their intestines. But when adults become um, colonized at the right time, they go on and develop a colitis. Um, And usually this happens after someone has gotten antibiotics. Um, In fact, before we even discovered C. difficile is the cause of this colitis, uh, they called it uh, clindamycin colitis because that was an antibiotic that commonly caused this disease where the the colon becomes inflamed and people get diarrhea. Um, and it can be quite severe, that diarrhea. It's caused by some toxins that the bacteria produce. So this is a bacterium that is around us all the time and those spores that uh, can persist in the environment and are hardy. Um, and yet most of the time it doesn't bother us until our normal bacteria in our lower intestine uh, or microbiota uh, are disturbed, usually from antibiotics, and then you're made susceptible. So what happened the last 10 or 15 years? I, I mentioned that we discovered C. difficile as the cause of this colitis back, back in the late 1970s or, or early 80s, and then uh, that was discovered and known about, and, and Clostridium difficile infection was always there and, and, and occasionally causing 
infections in people who had received antibiotics. But then something happened in the late 1990s uh, to 2000 where we started to see this increase. Well, one thing we know is that a new strain uh, arrived on the scene. or it Actually, it was a strain that was around before but had uh, developed some resistance to some other antibiotics that, are, that were more and more frequently used for pneumonias and urinary tract infections. And with that strain becoming more resistant to those other uh, antibiotics, it became more common. And so we call this the epidemic strain because, or the recurrent epidemic strain. Uh, some, it's, it's known by some other names as well. But it, it is more virulent. It causes more severe disease. And probably because it produces more toxins. I mentioned how the toxins cause this colitis. Um, it is more resistant, but it, when I say it's resistant, it's not resistant to the drugs we use to treat it, but to other antibiotics that are commonly used, and that makes it more common. So that's one big reason. Another concern, though, is that uh, some people have that that maybe uh, everyone's uh, uh, bacteria, the normal healthy bacteria in our lower intestine, uh, again, I use the term microbiota, um, some people call this the microbiome when we're, we're talking about all the, the genes that those bacteria encode. They are a natural uh, part of our defense against C. difficile. I've mentioned how um, antibiotics disturb them and make you vulnerable. Well, maybe some people wonder is, is could the um, microbiome or microbiota of people in general becoming, is that becoming a little weaker? Is it just that we're we're eating so many processed foods and, and taking so many antibiotics that overall people are, uh, they're, they're, the normal healthy bacteria are just not there in the right numbers and the right uh, groups. Um, so that might be another cause. But the big thing we think that happened in the last 15 years is this, this new strain, the uh, epidemic strain. And, and it's spread throughout North America um, uh, into England where it caused some very wide uh, spread outbreaks and throughout Europe, um, and it, it, it causes these infections, especially uh, in, in hospital patients, but we'll see in a moment, uh, I think, as, as we discuss further, how it certainly affects other patients as well. Exactly. And thank you so much, Dr. McDonald, for explaining all of that and giving us a, a, a thorough background on what Clostridium difficile is in the microbiome. Um, Dr. McDonald, are the rates of C. diff infection starting to decline? Well, um, it's always not as easy as the one answer uh, to that. I, I can say quickly that we are getting better at preventing it. Um, uh, there's a little bit of confusion, though, or the waters are muddied, so to speak, because we've started to use more sensitive tests, um, and that's probably on the whole a good thing, although some people worry that maybe we're being too sensitive in the tests we're using and, and diagnosing some people who are just colonized and not really infected with Clostridium difficile. Uh, but with the wa- more widespread use of those more sensitive tests, um, we might expect some increase in rates. Um, and when we control for that fact, though, the possibility that more people are using more sensitive tests, which we think is a generally a good thing, um, it looks like we are getting a little better in our hospitals. I think uh, we can say that if we held all the testing practices the same, uh, we've probably decreased the number of C. difficile infections by about 10% over the last um, 
two to three years. That's not great because we recall, well, I didn't really say it, but you, you intimated the fact that rates have gone up tremendously. In fact, they've gone up to historic highs. Um, from the year 2000 through 2011, 12, 13, um, they've been higher than they ever have before, and the number of deaths associated have been higher than ever before, and they've plateaued at those very high rates. But we are seeing when we start to look closely at the kind of tests being used and controlling for that or, or keeping everything equal, so to speak, there's about, about, been about a 10% decline in the last two, or two to three years. But that's not enough when we're at historic highs, of course. Uh, we need to do a lot more. Yes, and, you know, educating and, and all the great information the CDC puts on their website with the blogs is definitely information that can be utilized by everyone in healthcare and patients alike. And people can always get more information from the CDC website by accessing it at www.cdc.gov and reading all of the information that is um, presented out there for to be, you know, reviewed and, and learned from. And Dr. McDonald, you briefly touched upon um, about Clostridium colonization. Can you briefly explain to everyone about Clostridium difficile colonization and the Clostridium difficile infection, which you already mentioned before? Yes. um, It's it's normal, really, for infants to become colonized. And this is probably because uh, their microbiome, the lower intestinal uh, bacteria, are not well established. You know, the baby's born, um, and this is true in other mammals as well, um, uh, um, a variety of mammals, even pets, um, that in the first year of life, the bacteria are just getting established in the lower intestine. The baby comes out of the birth canal and at first is is without any bacteria, right? Uh, When when, um, during gestation, during the time of pregnancy, the baby developing in the womb has no bacteria. But then when it comes down the birth canal, it gets, um, uh, gets bacteria on them and they swallow them and then they, they, normal, they, get, they start to establish the normal healthy bacteria in the intestines. During that first year, um, infants can be colonized with C. difficile, costumes difficile. And it appears, thankfully, uh, the, the way that our our uh, humans have developed along with C. difficile over over the millennia. Um, that um, they don't develop disease. We don't know exactly why. Some have hypothesized, and there's some scientific evidence that maybe their colons, colons, uh, lower intestines, are just because they're immature. They don't have the the the, the sites where the toxin normally binds. Um, Whatever it may be, they don't seem to develop disease, uh, or if they do, very rarely uh, in the first year of life. And then after that, after a couple more years, uh, children, especially cancer patients and other children, can develop C. difficile infection. And infection, uh, different from colonization, means that you're that that the colon is getting damaged by the toxins, um, and 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 then there's also uh, our body actually reacts to those. We actually develop antibodies against those toxins, which can be a good thing. And that probably happens early in life after that colonization uh, events in the first year of life, maybe. But it helps uh, continues throughout our life. And we have those antibodies in our in our blood at low levels, um, suggesting you know that 
we have been colonized in the past with C. difficile. Um, the only times as adults we normally have C. difficile in our intestines is when we've gotten antibiotics. Uh, like I said before, that's important as a as a risk factor for developing the infection, the normal healthy bacteria in the lower intestine defend us from infection. They also defend us from getting colonized. And the difference of when someone might just be colonized um, and carry it around with them, possibly spreading it to other people, uh, versus having diarrhea and colitis and inflammation, the difference is probably uh, the, the the boosting of their antibody levels. So, so I've mentioned already these two important defenses that our body has. One is the healthy lower intestinal microbiota or bacteria or microbiome. The other is an immune system that produces antibodies and, and boosts those antibody levels when we've been exposed. And, and it is interesting that some people, even though they would take antibiotics from time to time. Don't seem to get C. difficile, the Clostridium difficile, that often. Uh, Nancy, I think you were a nurse, um, and um, well, as you know, uh, doctors and nurses are around these patients with Clostridium difficile all the time. Um, they do occasionally get Clostridium difficile infections um, because they do take antibiotics for other reasons, but it doesn't seem to happen. Uh, all that much more often, um, which is a little surprising because they're around it so much. And we do know it spreads person to person, both from yes. colonized patients and those infected. Uh, so maybe one reason is that they have higher levels of antibodies. We don't know that for certain, but that's been hypothesized, certainly. Right. And thank you so much, Dr. McDonald, for bringing that all to the forefront. And I'm going to um, let everyone know that at this time, we're going to pause for a moment for a quick commercial break. And when we return, we will continue on discussing our focused topic today on Clostridium difficile C. diff infections with Dr. Clifford McDonald, MD. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. 
Rebiotics, a Faring Pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again are Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more. I'm your host, Nancy Kerala, with Dr. Chandrabali Ghosh, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We also thank our guest, Dr. Clifford McDonald, MD, for joining us today as we discuss Clostridium difficile, C. diff infections, and more. Welcome back, Dr. McDonald. Thank you. And, Dr. McDonald, we're going to pick up the discussion here and one really important topic is, can you explain what the current role is for fecal microbiota transplants, uh, better known as FMTs, as a treatment option for a C. diff infection? Yes. When when this was first starting to be talked about several years ago, um, a lot of people were pretty like, there's a lot big yuck factor to this, to think about human feces, um, poop, uh, if you will, being... Um, uh, transplanted from one person to another, um, but it it does go back some time, and certainly in, in veterinary medicine, it's been used for a long time in uh, <clears throat> uh, animals, especially horses and other animals that develop bad dysentery. Uh, treating them this way, um, in those cases, those animals are not always clearly diagnosed with Clostridium difficile, uh, but. In the case of Clostridium difficile, as we've been talking about in the first segment, the important factor is, uh, or, or a very important factor, is the normal lower intestinal bacterial composition that protects us from Clostridium difficile infections normally. When, once people do develop an infection, uh, the toxins themselves and, and other factors work against reestablishing a normal uh, composition of bacteria. And uh, unfortunately, we're often using an antibiotic to treat an antibiotic-associated diarrhea. And when in C. difficile infections, here it is something that was caused by, by antibiotics and we're using another antibiotic to treat it. Well, that antibiotic that we used to treat it with does knock down the number of C. difficile organisms, but also knocks down all the other bacteria. And so people will go into a recurrent cycle. Um, recurrences happen often with this infection. About 15 to 25% of patients will recur a first time, and that's usually within eight weeks of the first bout. Uh, but then people, some people can go on in multiple, multiple recurrences, even over years. Every time you try to take them off the antibiotic, uh, they flare again right away afterwards. 
Um, and they try different things. Tapers sometimes seem to work if you taper the antibiotic off over time, sort of keeping the number of C. difficile down, but hoping that the other bacteria come back. Um, some of this may also, again, be because the immune system isn't kicking in. But one thing that's been found to work is giving these feces from, uh, or stool, or poop, if you will, uh, from another human. Uh, usually you're testing those, often it's a family member, um, often desired someone who lives in the same household, um, and often a family member screening them for other infectious diseases, uh, uh, hepatitis, uh, HIV, uh, other uh, infections where you wouldn't, you really would not want uh, those to transmit, and and harvesting that stool, taking a stool sample, and delivering it to the patient right after they've come off the antibiotic, um, usually through an enema or through the colonoscope, an endoscope that's passed up the colon to look at the colon. Uh, it can be given even from above. It's even been freeze-dried and put in capsules by some. Others have passed a tube down the nose and delivered it into the um, the stomach and the duodenum uh, and get it in that way, and it, it seems to work either way. Um, and it, it is quite effective in those cases. I mean, uh, I mentioned already where one recurrence might occur in 20% of patients, a second recurrence might occur in another of those 20%, but then it starts to get to be like more like 40 or 50% or even higher. People who've had multiple, multiple recurrences, say five or six over a year or year and a half, um, they're very likely, as soon as you take them off uh, the antibiotic, to recur again. And yet you bring in uh, a transplant like this of, of feces of bacteria um, that are really being used like a probiotic, if you will, and, and they, they stop recurring right away. So it's really the ultimate probi probiotic. It's it's got a very rich number of organisms. The usual lower intestinal microbiome has around um, 500 to 1,000 species of bacteria and uh, uh, really hundreds of thousands of genes uh, that encode specific metabolic activity, you know, enzymes and things that do good things to, um, to, to prevent C. difficile infection. Exactly. And thank you, Dr. McDonald, for explaining that. And we had uh, an episode last month on about fecal transplants and, and the microbiome, and it was very interesting. And one thing, one factor that can't be stressed enough is that patients who are having reoccurrent C. difficile infections should know their donor or at least have the, make sure that the, um, the fecal matter and um, the slush is definitely screened and gone through the testing. Not that they borrow some stranger's fecal matter to do this uh, by themselves. Mm -hmm. Isn't that, you would agree yes. with that? Yes. yes. Um, yeah, the FDA has, has really said that, they, that this should only be done um, in that type of situation, only for this situation of multiply recurrent uh, C. difficile infection. Exactly. And I think it's after the third reoccurrence, correct? Yeah, uh, the... The, or maybe the third episode overall, I believe, second recurrence, multiple recurrences. Right. Well, it's definitely um, an option, a treatment option, mm -hmm. and one that has shown great success. So 
we move right along here in um, our program, uh, Dr. Ghosh will be discussing antibiotic resistance with our guest, Dr. Arjun Srinivasan. And Dr. McDonald, that brings us to a question about C. difficile and then the antibiotics. Um, in the association of oral cephalosporins with C. diff, are any oral cephalosporins more associated than the other with a C. diff infection? Yeah, in general, the the more it, we the clinicians often think of the cephalosporins in different um, generations: first generation, second generation, third generation, and and in the oral cephalosporins, the the big workhorse cephalosporins are the first generation, and they're they're mostly used to treat skin infections and and um, what we call gram positive bacteria, which are often cause skin infections and things. Um, they're also used in the IV form, those first-generation cephalosporins, to prevent surgical site infections often. The second and third-generation cephalosporins are more used for things like sinus infections when, when an antibiotic is really needed or ear infection uh, or pneumonia in some cases. And, and it's those uh, cephalosporins, the second and third-generation ones, that are more associated with C. difficile. They have more... Um, activity against the bacteria in the lower uh, intestinal um, mix and um, especially bacteria that cannot grow in the presence of oxygen. We call those anaerobic bacteria. And uh, many of those have more activity there, the second and third generation ones. Well, thank you so much for your answer, Dr. Madonna. We appreciate that. And um, do you have any closing comments at this time to share with our listeners, Dr. McDonald? Uh, yes, just uh, I want to thank the excellent work of the C. diff Foundation and other uh, patient advocacy groups that really uh, make our job uh, much easier to get the word out about these things. And, and certainly um, we are hopeful for some of the developments uh, in this field. As, as we didn't talk about it, Nancy, but as you know, there's a vaccine under development. Uh, well, maybe multiple vaccines, but certainly one that's in um more immediate testing that could be brought to market if it succeeds. Uh, there's other uh, uh, active treatments. So certainly we there's one paper just published today, in fact, Nancy, about um, non-toxigenic C. difficile, in fact, that there are strains of this bacteria that don't produce toxins, and they seem to protect people, interestingly enough, from C. difficile infection, and there's a paper about that. And there's others, too. So really... Um, Although it's been very discouraging to see all these people so affected, lives lost, uh, people losing their colon, uh, loved ones lost, um, there is, I think, uh, some real light at the tunnels. First, we're getting the word out about not using antibiotics unnecessarily, um, careful infection control in healthcare, uh, but then the promise of new treatments and developments there. Exactly. And it's all, we're all working together for the same goal. And Dr. McDonald, we thank you so much for joining us sure. today on C. diff spores and more. And we thank you for sharing the clinical information, background, and current data focused on Clostridium difficile, another known as C. diff. And we appreciate the many healthcare programs, articles, and blogs available on the CD website. Again, it's www.cdc.gov, along with the CDC's mission in saving lives and protecting people. We thank you so much again, and we're going to take a moment now and pause for a commercial break. When we return, Dr. Ghosh will be discussing antibiotic use and antibiotic resistance with our guest, Dr. Arjan Srinivasan, 
and we'll be right back after this message. Thank you. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-CDIF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against CDF and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for CDF infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising CDF awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Rebiotics, a fairing pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again are Nancy Karala. Welcome back to the C. diff, spores, and more. I'm your host, Nancy Karala. It is a pleasure to introduce Dr. Chandra Baligosh, who will be discussing antibiotic use and antibiotic resistance with our next guest, Dr. Arjan Srinivasan, MD, Associate Director for Healthcare Associated Infection Prevention Programs and the Division of Healthcare Quality Promotion at CDC's National Center for Emerging and Zoonotic Infectious Diseases. Chandra, thank you so much, and I will turn it over to you. Thank you, Nancy, and thank you to our listeners for joining us today for a very exciting radio show. Dr. Srinivasan, thank you again for joining us today on CDF Scores and More. And as Nancy mentioned, we will be discussing antibiotic use and antibiotic resistance with Dr. Srinivasan. Dr. Srinivasan, would you explain to our listeners about some of the antibiotic resistant threats that the CDC think are the most worrisome that are, you know, basically causing policy changes, et cetera, at the CDC? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. You know, there are a number of threats that we face with these organisms that have become resistant to the antibiotics that we would like to use to treat them. And fundamentally, that's how we at CDC have kind of defined this concept of antibiotic resistance. That is, uh, a bacteria that has developed resistance to the antibiotic that would be the first choice 
that we would like to use to treat an infection caused by that bacteria. And this is a problem, as, as many of your listeners are probably already aware, uh, a problem in just about every single type of bacteria that we encounter. Um, and so it's, it's not something that's really limited to one particular bacterial strain or another. We see this type of antibiotic resistance across the board in all the different types of organisms that cause infections. Uh, And it's something that uh, is definitely getting worse over time. A couple of years ago, though, CDC, we attempted to try and and categorize this problem and and come up with some uh, organisms that we think deserve a particular focus. There are ones that we think pose some uh, particular challenges and some especially important problems, uh, either because they're uh, very, very common or because they are so resistant that they pose enormous challenges with respect to treatment. And there are are three that we think deserved a special mention as kind of the most urgent threats uh, that we face. Uh, Those are uh, Clostridium difficile, which you just heard about. And though we're not uh, especially worried about resistance in Clostridium difficile per se, um, that is to say that, you know, the antibiotics that we use to treat C. diff are, are still very effective, but we know that Clostridium difficile uh, kind of spreads and uh, is, is a problem for the same reasons that, that other types of resistance are a problem, namely because of antibiotic use and overuse uh, and also because of infection control through spread within hospitals. Uh, another type of infection that we're very worried about resistance in, and we put it, put it as kind of an urgent threat, uh, is uh, uh, gonorrhea, Neisseria gonorrhea, the bacteria that causes uh, gonorrhea. Um, the challenge here, of course, is that this is uh, usually an infection that gets treated as an outpatient. Uh, People don't have to get admitted for these infections. But in order to be treated as an outpatient, it usually has to be uh, amenable to treatment with a pill, with an oral antibiotic. And what we're seeing is resistance that's developing in gonorrhea that makes it uh, difficult, if not impossible, to treat it with a pill. And so now we take an infection that previously could be treated with oral antibiotics as an outpatient and we encounter a situation where we have to use intravenous antibiotics and perhaps admit patients to the hospital to treat them. And then the final one that we call out as kind of an urgent threat is one that is actually uh, does not uh, impact too many people each year, and that's a good thing uh, because it's a very resistant type of bacteria. It's something called Carvapenem resistant Enterobacteriaceae, or CRE. This is a family of bacteria that is uh, causing problems predominantly in uh, hospitals and in hospitals predominantly in intensive care units and other places where there are are very, very ill patients. And it's of particular concern because it is a bacteria that really presents tremendous challenges with respect to resistance. These CRE bacteria are resistant to uh, nearly all, or in some cases, all of the antibiotics that we have available to us. And so, you know, CRE uh, are the bacteria that create this uh, specter of a what we call the post-antibiotic era because there are patients in our hospitals today who have these CRE infections who essentially are in a post-antibiotic era. We have no bacteria available to treat them. So those are the threats that we call that as being most urgent, but you know, would encourage uh, anyone who's interested in more details to go and look. This is uh, all summarized in a very nice report that CDC put out called the Antibiotic Resistance Threat Report in 2013, and all of the different uh, antibiotic resistance threats are summarized there.
Thank you. Yes, I think CRE most recently made it to the news of, with a few patients dying from getting scoped in California. So I'm sure like some of our uh, listeners may have heard about them. So our next question, you know, uh, listening to you would be at, like, who is most at risk for getting these kind of infections? You know, I think that's a key point, and and it of course depends on the the infection that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So the the three that we just that we just talked about, I think, present a very nice uh, spectrum that emphasizes the point that all of us are really at risk for antibiotic resistance infections. Starting with CRE, of course, this is something that is really limited to hospitals. Uh, these infections with CRE don't uh, tend to occur outside of healthcare settings, uh, and even within healthcare settings, we know that they're more common in intensive care units or in units where we've got patients who are undergoing organ transplantation or uh, bone marrow transplantation. Um, And so, you know, the CRE infections really are limited uh, to those settings and those patient populations. Of course, those are the patients who uh, are the ones we we need to protect the most. These are our most vulnerable patients. Uh, People who are undergoing intensive care or cancer chemotherapy are, are the most at risk or uh, bad things to happen to them if they get these infections. So CRE is most at risk for those patients. uh, the, on the other side of the spectrum, you've got gon- the gonorrhea infections, which are, you know, a problem in outpatient settings. It's a sexually transmitted infection, so not something that we see uh, related to healthcare, but something that we see outside of healthcare. And then in the middle is Clostridium difficile, which is both a problem in our hospitals and nursing homes, our, our ho- uh, healthcare settings, but also a uh, can be a problem in patients who get antibiotics uh, out in the community and doctors' offices. And I think that those three pathogens uh, present do a very nice job of teaching us that we're all at risk for, uh, potentially at risk for these types of antibiotic-resistant infections. Mm-hmm. So continuing on to what you just mentioned about communities, like what kind of trends are you seeing um, in the last couple of years with antibiotic-resistant infections? You know, generally, the, the trends in antibiotic resistance have been concerning and consistent for many, many years. Uh, over time, we see uh, resistance increasing for nearly every uh, antibiotic and every bacteria that we monitor. Uh, there are very, very few exceptions to that rule. Uh, so if you look at things like a Clostridium difficile, uh, rates of res- you know, gonorrhea, CRE, uh, another one that people might be very familiar with, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, we see uh, resistance in those bacteria continuing to rise over time. Where we have seen, though, some encouraging signs of progress is in our efforts to prevent uh, these infections from happening in the first place. So we have seen uh, some reductions in Clostridium difficile. And and, uh, most excitingly, in some places that have really focused on it, uh, we've seen some significant reductions in Clostridium difficile. We've seen the same thing with uh, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, where we've seen some decreases in the number of infections with that particular bacteria. And we've also seen some early signs of success, even against CRE, where we've seen people who have really taken concerted action and been able to reduce uh, the rates of of CRE. So I think the take-home message is that antibiotic resistance is a growing problem, but we have seen good examples of people being able to tackle the problem and reverse these trends. Perfect. Um, So my next question to you would be... um, 
So these antibiotic-resistant infections can happen anywhere. Data show that most of them do happen in the general community. Um, so um, can you suggest like what measures uh, that can be taken by healthcare CEOs, medical officers, other medical, you know, the healthcare facility leaders to counteract um, or to prevent the spread of community-acquired infectious diseases that are antibiotic-resistant? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think there's a lot we can do uh, in our healthcare settings, both to uh, t- uh, com- address the issue of the community-acquired uh, resistant infections and then the, the hospital uh, infections. You know, oftentimes the uh, agents that may, may come in on a patient, the bacteria that may be on a patient when they get admitted from the hospital, they may have picked that up in the community. And C. difficile is a great example of that. Uh, but then it may spread within the hospital. And so one of the things that we can do uh, within our healthcare systems is to work very hard on making sure that we've got excellent infection control programs and, and protocols in place to, to prevent the spread of resistant bacteria. Uh, and the other thing we can do is focus uh, our efforts on improving antibiotic prescribing. And uh, uh, an important way to do that in our inpatient healthcare settings is through what we call antibiotic stewardship programs. These are programs that are specifically focused on helping hospitals improve the way antibiotics are used. And what we've seen is that hospitals that do a good job and have strong uh, antibiotic stewardship programs uh, do have success in combating Clostridium difficile and even in uh, reducing resistance. So it's really a combination of controlling the spread of infections and improving antibiotic use uh, that will ultimately lead to success. Okay, Dr. Srinivasan, thank you so much for all this information. We are going to um, now pause for a moment for a commercial break, and we will return. And when we return, we will continue discussing antibiotic use and antibiotic resistance with you. We'll be right back after this break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To help support the C. diff foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Rebiotics, a fairing pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. 
partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to c diff spores and more if you have a question please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org now back to our program here again are nancy Karala. welcome back to c diff spores and more i'm your host chandrabali kosh with nancy Karala. we thank our listeners for joining us today as we discuss antibiotics and antibiotic resistance with our guest Dr. Arjun Srinivasan, MD, the Associate Director for Healthcare Associated Infection Prevention Program in the Division of Healthcare Quality Promotion at the CDC, and uh, and for CDC uh, and Prevention Centers for uh, Emerging and Zoonotic Infectious Diseases. Dr. Srinivasan, one quick question: um, What would it mean for modern medicine if we lose the ability to treat infection, like bacterial infections, with antibiotics? You know, it would really be devastating. I mean, we're talking about uh, essentially getting in a time machine and, and going back in time uh, rather than forward in time. We've made such tremendous advances in medicine with uh, ad- advances in chemotherapy for cancers, with organ transplantation. Uh, but uh, when you look at the advances that we made, so many of them uh, are advances that weaken a patient's ability to fight infections. And so we've been able to uh, realize those advances because we've been able to treat the infections that develop as a consequences of the treatments that we're developing. If we lose the ability to treat those infections, we will fundamentally lose the ability to perform some of these uh, life-saving medical procedures that we all take for granted today. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you know, maybe uh, you know, like, and this is a question that I have also. Maybe you can you know enlighten our listeners. How does antibiotic use lead to antibiotic resistance per se? Yeah, and it's a good question. I think it's important to emphasize that you know a lot of times this gets wrapped up into oh, it's it's only. Uh, incorrect antibiotic use that leads to resistance, and that's not true. Any antibiotic exposure creates uh, an opportunity for resistance. Bacteria uh, have strength in numbers, uh, and in any population of bacteria, there are billions and billions of the bacteria there uh, in our in our bodies causing these infections. And there's a chance that maybe one or two of them are resistant to an antibiotic just by random mutation. And then when we expose that group of bacteria to an antibiotic, we kill the ones that are susceptible, and it leaves behind the ones that are resistant. And then over time, the ones that are resistant uh, become predominant. Uh, And so what we know is that uh, resistance will always continue to develop. So even if we use antibiotics perfectly, resistance will develop, and that's why we always need to be developing new antibiotics. But what we do know is the more we expose bacteria to antibiotics, the greater the likelihood of resistance. And so that's why uh, when we take steps to improve antibiotic prescribing and reduce it so that we're only using antibiotics when we really need them, uh, it can slow this process of the development of resistance. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, you alluded to, uh, to this a little while back, but what exactly does it mean to be a good steward of antibiotics? You know, it fundamentally uh, what it means is that you uh, are prescribing antibiotics uh, only when patients need them and that you're using the, the right antibiotic at the right dose for the right amount of time. Okay. Um, Dr. Srinivasan, the CDC is doing so much for, uh, you know, for patients to help combat the problem of antibiotic resistance. And I know in 2008, you assumed the medical directorship of the CDC campaign called Get Smart for Healthcare, which is designed to improve the use of antibacterials in inpatient healthcare facilities. Would you briefly tell us um, what this Get Smart program is? Yeah, absolutely. So CDC has had these, uh, get, this Get Smart family of programs for, for many years, uh, and we actually have uh, three different uh, Get Smart programs, uh, one focused on outpatient healthcare settings, one on inpatient healthcare settings like hospitals and nursing homes, and a, and a third program focused on antibiotic use uh, in agricultural settings like Get Smart on the Farm. And the, the mission of these three programs is to work collaboratively with prescribers, with patients, with consumers, with advocates to try and improve the way that antibiotics are used in these various settings. Uh, a lot of what we do is to try and educate uh, providers and the public about the importance of using antibiotics correctly, uh, and then also to try and work with uh, partner organizations to develop the, the tools that uh, either patients or providers might need uh, in order to uh, make these uh, uh, interventions happen to use antibiotics mo- most effectively. Uh, for example, on the inpatient side, uh, a couple of years ago, we uh, recognized there was a need to really point people to the uh, specific uh, components of what an antibiotic stewardship program would look like in a hospital. And so we released a document called Core Elements of Hospital Antibiotic Stewardship Programs. And so it's that type of thing that the Get Smart family uh, of, of uh, uh, campaigns is working on to try to improve antibiotic use across the spectrum of care. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners to review the CDC Antibiotic Steward Program information, please visit the CDC website, cdc.www.cdc.gov. Um, and lastly, Dr. Srinivasan, we're almost at the end of our show, and if you have any closing comments to share with our listeners, we would be happy to listen to them. Thank you. I, you know, I just would close by uh, thanking you for uh, focusing on this topic. This is a, a very important topic, and there's a lot uh, that needs to be done, and the only way it will get done is for people to be aware of the issue uh, and to begin to take actions in order to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Srinivasan, thank you again for joining us today on CDF uh, Spores and More and for sharing this important information focused on antibiotic use and antibiotic resistance and ways that everyone, doctors, patients, can become good stewards of antibiotics. We thank you again and we appreciate the many healthcare programs, articles, blogs available on CDC's website and along with CDC's mission in saving lives and protecting people. If our viewers, if you have missed any part of today's episode, you can always return to the show page and access the program podcast and listen to them at your leisure. Join us again next week with our guests, C. diff survivors, sharing their unique journey through a C. diff infection and how it changed their lives forever. As we close, we dedicate this and every episode to fellow C. diff survivors worldwide and to every patient and their family combating C. diff infections. Never lose hope. Remember, none of us can do this alone and all of us can do this together. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We'll be right back.